Who's enjoying 2023 so far? Okay, let me rephrase the question. Let's get excited about 2023. Yes, right. Because, I mean, I've eased you into it gently. I mean, we've talked about the importance of us making change, and most of us can handle that reasonably well. And I've talked about how once we've made that decision, we have to be adaptable because we can't let the circumstances put us off our stride. And we cope with that, all right, don't we? We're an adaptable people. But this morning, <laughs> thank you for that support from the front row. <laughs> this morning, I, I want to talk to us about probably the most challenging, but also the most powerful step that we can take to conquer 2023, or any other year for that matter, and that step is something called surrender. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is, you know, when you do courses, there's, there's what they call core subjects, and then there's, there's the, uh, I don't know what the, the others are called, non-electives, that's the one, there's electives. Now, change you might call an elective. Adaptability you might call an elective. But surrender is a core subject. And we need to understand that this is not only important, but it's actually key in understanding how we interact with God. Now, this, this, isn't, this is a very specific surrender that I'm talking about here. It's not giving up on our plans and our goals. It's not giving in to circumstances. It's not giving in to discouragement. It is the act of surrendering our lives, which includes our plans, our goals, and our desires to God. Now, most of us, I think, will be fairly familiar with this idea. It is, after all, the basis of the Christian doctrine of eternal salvation, which is not achieved by works or by, by being a good person, but by the act of surrendering control of our lives to God. Some call it giving our allegiance to God, but essentially it requires us to transfer control of our lives from the previous king or queen, which is us, to King Jesus. And that takes an act of surrender. And now we tend to have a very romanticized view of this surrender. And I've got a, a lovely image uh, up here, which, you know, we come before God and we wave the white flag. Jesus, here I am over here, over here. I, 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 I give up. I realize that I've, I've been a bit of a turkey. Um, I've realized the error of my ways, and I, I surrender under a white flag. I stand before you as my conquering God and say, oops, sorry, Jesus, you got me. <laughs> I've been a bad boy. You were right all along. What an idiot I've been. But now I've realized my mistake. We're all good now, right? This, this isn't, this isn't going to cost me anything, is it? I give up. This, this concept we have of, you know, doing Jesus a bit of a favor, you know, I surrender, hello, woohoo, over here, pick me, is not what the biblical authors had in mind when they talked about surrender. Surrender in biblical times, and, and in fact for many centuries after that, is a radically different idea to that particular view. In fact, the person surrendering would probably look a bit more like this. And they would be in chains and shackles, and they would be subject to punishment, which might look a bit like this. Sound for, look familiar? 
to anyone. And so I want to give you a picture of this whole idea of surrender and what surrender might have involved and the consequences of surrender for an individual, let's say the king of a people who has had to surrender his army, his people, his nation to another king and the consequences that that might have for that king and for his people. Can I have a, can I have a chair up here? Let, let me just demonstrate very briefly what that might entail. So we, we've got, imagine we've got a king sitting here and this king has just defeated me, the king of an opposing nation. And so I will be brought before this king in chains, in public, usually in a huge arena where we're, we're up on a, a huge, do- oh, a bit light now. Um, and he is sitting there and the king would be dragged in chains before him and forced to his knees. And while on his knees, he would have to kneel there and be slapped, burned, tortured, made to listen to all the great things about this king and all the terrible things about himself. He would be forced to give up all his worldly wealth, all his possessions, all his symbols of rank, all his symbols of honor. Notice how it's all technology? <laughs> and he would, be, he would be forced often to kneel there while the officials of his government, the leaders of his army, were brought in front of the king and executed in front of him as he knelt there. And he would know that his people would be taken into slavery. And as a final act of debasement and surrender, he would be forced forward onto his face on the floor. And the king, the victorious king, would stand and place his foot on the neck of the vanquished king and stand there over him as a symbol of his victory and his complete control over the vanquished king's life. And at that point, and that was often just the beginning, at that point the king was often then dragged away, tortured or killed or sent into exile with his people. And we can actually see, can I have my, my pulpit back? I'll, put, I'll take my symbols of authority back. <laughs> Thanks, Elise. In 2 Kings 25 and verse 7, we have the king Zedekiah who has surrendered because Babylon has conquered Israel. And it says, They made Zedekiah watch as they slaughtered his sons. And then they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in bronze chains and led him away to Babylon. Surrendering was not an easy choice to make because people knew what was going to happen. And then there was the thought that, of course, slavery was a sober reality for many of the king's subjects as a way of paying costs for the war. We hear in modern days the the idea of what they call reparations for a war that the enemy has to pay. Uh, A war can be economically really damaging to lose. Strangely enough, it can be really damaging to win as well. But what happened in those days was basically that the kingdom of the defeated king would be ransacked, all the valuables would be taken away, and all his people would be made slaves and taken away to work in the victorious country to pay for that debt. In the same chapter, chapter 25, verse 11, it says, Then 
Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took the exiles, took to, as exiles the rest of the people who remained in the city. Well, that's not so bad. The defectors had declared their allegiance to the king of Babylon, so they went along as well. Oh, and by the way, and the rest of the population. So basically, everybody got dragged off into slavery. So the idea of surrendering wasn't just, we give up, sorry. If you surrendered, then you were going to be subjected to a pretty horrific time for the rest of your life. So is it any wonder that people often preferred death over surrender? Surrender was not the easy option. Surrender was, you had to take responsibility for your actions and moreover, not only your actions, but the fact that you lost. And yet, it's interesting that as Christians, we are called to voluntarily surrender our lives to King Jesus. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord of your life, in other words, he has control of your life, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why would you do such a thing? Well, I'll explain, but let, let's, let's make one thing clear. Jesus ex- expects the same humility from us that I described with the surrendering king. He asks that we will kneel before him, strip away all our worldly status symbols, and declare that our life is forfeit and now belongs to him. But at that point where any other king would place his boot on our necks, Jesus instead reaches out his hand, raises us up from our knees and asks us to serve him, not as his slaves, but as part of his family. He offers to adopt us as his children and then promises to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that he brings to work in us, which is in Ephesians 3.20. And so imagine surrendering to a king and have him do that and then to top it off he informs us that not only does he not require payment for our war crimes but that he has personally paid the debt and then instead of sending us into exile in chains he gives us a robe puts sandals on our feet and gives us the keys to his kingdom why wouldn't you do such a thing But, although the the outcome is vastly different, the attitude has to be the same. We are called to be humble. We are called not to take God for granted. We are called to recognize that the payment that we would have had to pay, the suffering we would have had to go through, cost God. It wasn't just that he was big enough so that he could take it. It wasn't a bother to him. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins, for our crimes, absolving us of any payment. So you see, it's okay to make changes in our lives. And it's important to be adaptable. But none of it makes any difference unless we are prepared to surrender our lives to the will of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? It's very quiet in here. 
Sheesh. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteousness, righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So how do we practically surrender our plans for 2023 to God? Because it's all very well to say, you know, we need to surrender. But what, what does that mean in our day-to-day life? How do we actually surrender our lives to God? Do we just get up every morning and, and say, okay, I'm yours, God. Tell me what to do. And we sit there and wait. Mm-hmm. Nope, nothing. Okay, I'll just go ahead and do what I usually do. Well, I think it looks different for each of us. Um, but I think I got a hint this week. I was discussing a, a totally different topic with young Pete up the back there Um, and during the conversation uh, and and thinking about it afterwards I think in there there might have been a clue that sort of relates to what I'm talking about now if you want to know what that conversation was about we may be releasing uh, to the public something about that later and we may talk about that at a future date but um, you know just stay tuned for that one Um, enough advertising I think we need to ask ourselves these two questions when it comes to our plans and our goals for 2023. And and these questions might surprise you. I think the first question we need to ask is, is God a key influence in my plans? Have we gone making our plans without asking God or have we actually asked God about our plans? Have we put him first and foremost in what we're going to do? And the second thing is, will it benefit others? I don't know what you think. You think these are my plans. Get stuffed. Why should anybody else have anything to say about it? Well, I'm not going to tell you why you should think that way, but I encourage you to look up and read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10 and verse 26, which I'm not going to put up behind me. That's your homework for today. Because I think it's very important. Jesus thought it important enough to distill 10 commandments into two in this very passage. And I think he did that because these things are key to how we actually run our life. So if you're serious about conquering 2023 like he's the boss, then let's finish this Sunday. Let's finish this service with a sincere act of surrender. Now this is is for people who are serious. If you're not serious... You can sneak out while we're doing this, or you can just mutter under your breath. But I'm going to ask us to actually make a statement before God, and I'm going to ask us to do it on our knees. Now, I know there are some people kneeling down is not going to be something that you can do. In that case, that's fine. You just perch on the edge of your seat. But for the rest of us, I want us to kneel on the ground. If we get this right the first time, we won't be down here too long. And I'm going to try something different. I'm going to put up the words to a prayer on the screen behind me. And I'm going to do something a bit different. What I want us to do is to not you repeat the prayer after me, but we pray the prayer together. So this is going to be a bit of um, coordination going on here. So perhaps I'll start it off and everybody just join in as we go. Are we ready? Lord Jesus, we humbly kneel before your throne and surrender our lives to you. We are truly sorry for our wrongdoings. Thank you for adopting us as your children. Thank you for paying our debt on the cross. 
We are now yours, and you are our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may rise.